This morning I'm going to have you join me in Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse number 6 with me. We are doing a, a walk through the Beatitudes, this passage from uh, Matthew 5 all the way up to verse number 12, speaks of, of the things the Lord addresses concerning the heart. The heart. These are not things that you check off on a list and say, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, as if these are your tickets to eternal life or entrance pass into heaven. This is the heart of those who are approved by God, the things that God sees. And he says, these folks are blessed. And that's what we're looking at in this passage And so we've already seen the first verse, verse number three, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We've talked about those who are bankrupt. And that's really where we start. Bankrupt. We've abandoned all hope of self-sufficiency. We are absolutely and totally dependent upon God for all things. We come to Him like a beggar. Because... We have nothing, and we could do nothing apart from Him. That starts from the heart, folks. And that was the first thing Jesus mentioned here. It deals with our pride. The second, blessed are they that mourn. We talked through that, and it speaks of those who are, are conscious of their emptiness in regard to sinful things as well. Here it deals with our sinfulness and and uh, the fact is that once we, we start to understand more and more about God and asking Him for our needs, the more we realize our condition and how desperate it really is apart from Him. Any sin is an offense to God. Any sin, regardless of what you might call small or what you might call large, they're offense to a holy God. And, and God did something about that. He sent His Son. They just reminded us of that as they sang this morning. He loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And where would we be without that? I'm very glad that uh, this is included in the Beatitudes because we do come to Him understanding that it was our sinfulness that cost His Son His life. And that's an incredible thing to contemplate. I call it, blessed are the bleeding, because that gets your attention. Blessed are the broken. We dealt with that last time together, dealing with our usefulness. The Lord is, is not in the, in the business of making us sores, but making us servants. And He breaks us so that we might be useful. And the breaking here is regarding obedience. And we talked about that last week especially, because this does deal with a heart attitude. That we are willing to be served and we want to be taught. This is our education in the brokenness that the Lord walks us through that He might use us for His glory. I, I just would love to camp on that for a very long time. Because I think that's where sometimes we make some of our, our biggest blunders along the way, is that we... 
think that our usefulness is based on our abilities and our wisdom and our strength and our, you know, direction and our plans. And boy, I'm, isn't glad, God glad he's picked us for his team. When it really comes the other way around, that he's chosen us and our desire should be useful to our master. And so we've talked about brokenness. But today I want to add another B from verse number 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the burning. There's my B word for an intense passion. And this is very much centered around those words, the righteousness that we're going to speak of today. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. Heavenly Father, help us with this today. Only you can do the work in the heart. Only you can change a stony, callous, stubborn, rebellious heart to that which is desirous of the things of God. And as we submit ourselves to you today, this is going to be quite an examination that you give us. I pray, Lord, that we will honestly look inside and see where we stand with you in regard to a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Show us what it is to burn for your things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a wonderful passage. Matter of fact, we sing it in many, or at least a particular chorus song we've sung so many times. As the deer pants for the water, even so my soul pants for thee. That comes from the book of Psalm, by the way, chapter number 42, the first couple of verses. And we think that's one of the most beautiful, and I do, I think it's one of the most beautiful of the choruses. And I always say, oh, what a lovely scene that is. Trying to picture it, little Bambi running across the field, right? The, the depiction of the psalm is, is a lot more intense than what we sing. The deer is being hunted. The deer is screaming for water. That deer is, is exhausted. It realizes that if it stops, it will be slain. It must keep going, keep going, keep going, running for shelter, running for protection, running for relief. And it's seeking that water. And nothing else was satisfied. And David used that as a depiction of his own soul. I need God. My soul needs God. My soul searches for thee. It pants for thee. What a depiction that psalm starts with. What a powerful display of passion. This, this passage we look at today, Matthew 5, verse 6, I, if I were to categorize the Beatitudes, this is in the first segment, the first four, that deals with the inward aspects of our heart. The things that we look inward and we check to see, are we dependent upon Him completely? Are we conscious of the fact that with, we're so sinful that without Him and Him's cleansing, we're, we're nothing. We're like filthy rags, really. Are we conscious of the fact that we need to obey Him? These are aspects that are very personal, I know. And checking the heart is hard uncomfortable. And if you thought the first three were, wait till you hear this one today. Because it's the it's next one that deals with the issue of the heart. And it checks exactly to where we stand 
in our desire. This deals with our attitude, folks. Our attitude. Maybe one of the hardest things to control in our lives. The attitude. We can do a lot of things and still have an attitude, right? I used to tell the kids when they were having trouble, I'd say, your attitude's sticking out. And you know what? Sometimes we're good at concealing it. But God knows your heart. You see, there's nothing I can share with you today that God doesn't already know about you, personally. Okay? So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Let's talk about the burning today that this passage speaks of. Now, we live in a day and age where we satisfy ourselves with things that really are not fully beneficial. I'm not going to go into a depiction of, you know, this economy or this society or this whatever. There's a lot of examples you could bring to this. But I want to give you just a simple one I observed the other day. Out in our backyard, we decided to put bird feeders everywhere, all right? Because we got all those windows, and it's fun to sit there and watch the birds come in. We've seen birds this year that we've never seen here. Maybe you've seen them before, but they were new to me. It Orioles coming every day and eating off the, the you know, things we provided. We, we have these beautiful um, house finches. They, they've got red heads, and the rest of them are brown and such. And so when they come, we all look them up in the book and say, oh, what a beautiful bird, this bird and that bird, and we enjoy that very much. The other day I noticed something, though. We have all these feeders, and I had just gone out and I filled them. I mean, they're just more seed than the birds really would need or such, but they're out there. And there was a whole flock of these little bitty uh, sparrows or whatever they were out picking in the dirt 30 feet away looking for something to eat. And I said, it's right here, guys. Over here. Look. But they were out there picking in the dirt. And suddenly I thought of something. How often am I just like that? When it comes to feasting upon the things of God and upon His Word, that I might satisfy myself with just picking around, looking, scrounging a little bit here and there. Not much work into it, not much effort into it, but missing the feast the whole time. Missing the feast. We can use all kinds of illustrations this morning to try to talk about what it is to burn for something, to have an intense passion for something. We could talk in athletic terms, and that'd be easy to do. Most people probably could keep up with it. If you talk about orange, if you talk about red, if you talk about green and gold, or something like that, which most people say, what's that? Um, you could pick a color, and somebody say, I know what team that is, that's the one I root for, or something like that. And there are people with passion for that, and there are others who would say, ah, I could live without sports. Nothing to me. I could pull into another topic and say, well, what about this one? We could, we could talk about battle terminology and the passion that goes on the battlefield and such like that. And for some of you would say, yeah, I understand that. And others of you would say, oh, I don't get that at all. I've never been there. I don't, it doesn't mean a thing to me. I could talk about foods. And I probably can hit most of the people in this room with that topic because we do have a passion 
for certain things. One time a year, we especially have one with this thing called a turkey. And dressing, and mashed potatoes, and green beans with the little bacon pieces in it, right? And we, we can talk through things like that and say, you know, I was willing to skip my breakfast and my lunch for Thanksgiving dinner. Because I wanted to be hungry when it came time to eat. We could talk about things like that and say, well, those are issues of passion. We can, we can talk about that a long time. The old phrase used to be, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. How many of us would approach something like a Thanksgiving Day dinner uh, football so, you know, program that you love the team and such, and you might say, well, I just don't have any desire for that. I want to talk about the concept of burning today. When it comes to hunger and thirst, there is an intensity in that phrase. There's an intensity, a longing that's in there, a craving that's in there. It's a very powerful term. Uh, when you go into your text here in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What an incredible description of an individual. Because that's what they are. I, I would desire as a pastor that people crave God's Word. That's a desire of my heart. There's a way to somehow set that not only before somebody, but to give them that ability. That would be wonderful. My desire as a pastor, as one who prepares our lessons for Sunday mornings, is to set before you a feast. And sometimes I've heard before, wow, that was just more than I could, I could chew. That was, I've heard those kind of phrases. And I said, well, at least you have more. I'd rather that than you go away with less. Because when you're dealing with God's Word, it is a feast. It is a feast. And I think it's appropriate to present it as if it's a feast. Because we need God's Word. We need it. This, this whole concept of passion, we need it. Because we need Him. There are very few people who have written as well to me as men like A.W. Tozer who express a passion for God that is unquenchable. I think of Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 3, where he speaks of Jesus Christ and he keeps saying, I've got to know Him. I must know Him. And the passion in that phrase, just to know more of Him, the all-consuming soul passion of knowing Jesus Christ. I wish there were switches that we could just pop on and say, everybody's got that desire. I wish there were. From a pastor's side, I wish there were. Because the first word in our verse today is blessed. That means God approves of this. You see? That's the nature of the word as you look at it. This is what God is pleased with. The one who has such a passion. In, if this were written in a Hebrew sense, it's, it's not. But if it were written in the Hebrew sense... The first word is the most important word, 
because that's the way the, the writer would write it. So you got that as the first attention. And I would say there's probably truth just to that simple phrase. This is what God approves. Do you want God's approval? Do you want to do what God has said, this pleases me? You know, that's an attitude check right there. Do I want to please God? Do I want to do what is important to God? If He said, these folks are blessed, do you want to be one of these folks? That's the point that we're about to notice. Because He says in this, this is what I approve. This is who I bless. Those who are hungering. And those who are thirsting. I said it that way on purpose because it's a present tense concept. It's a participle, but it's present tense. It means this is going on right now and continuously. Now, what's interesting about that phrase is this. Many times we'd say, well, I'm hungry, and we eat, and then we're not hungry anymore. Or at least not for a few minutes. We'd say, I'm thirsty, and we go and get a drink. But later on in the day, you're going to be thirsty again. This is the depiction of somebody who not only is being given and satisfied, but they're not satisfied with all they're given. Does that make sense? It's not that they were given a short amount. That they were given a sample. It's that they want it all the time. They want it all the time. Those little boxes of assorted chocolates never satisfied me. One little, one little bite, you chew that up, you say, no, I've got to have another. You know, those little heart boxes don't last very long when you have got a passion for chocolate. you just got to keep working your way through that. The picture is this. These folks have a passion that doesn't dim. Their hunger continues even though they're being satisfied. And it's because they're being satisfied that hunger just keeps going. The thirst is like that. They are those who are thirsting. They are thirsting. They want more. They want much. See, I, I think that's a neat picture. Because when I was a kid, my dad used to say that we ate like we had hollow legs. Have you ever used that phrase before? You know what that means. That meant it was expensive for my mom and dad to buy groceries around our house. There were six of us. And I didn't know that until I had six of my own. It must be hereditary to get a hollow leg. You'd say, okay, they're hungry. They're always hungry. And I look at this and I say, you know, if this is a spiritual condition and it's an attitude of a heart, and if it's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness... If we walk away from Sunday morning satisfied that we have met our spiritual quota for the week, we've got a problem. You see what I mean? To say that that was sufficient for me, 
There are some people, the only time they ever move their Bibles is to take it off the dashboard of the car, carry it into the church, put it right back on the dashboard. We can tell who you are, because when it's missing after the sun has faded the rest of the dashboard, there's one square that's not. used to be that way when I was a kid. We noticed that in the parking lot all the time. But if this is your sole satisfaction for God's Word, or for God, or for His righteousness, it's not enough. That's not what the verse is teaching us, is to just take the sample and walk away and say, I'm satisfied. He wants a hungering and a thirsting for His things. A hungering and a thirsting for His things. Here's, let's define the words a little bit as we go into them. The hunger is the word to pine. You hear that before? To pine. You usually say to pine away. That means something's going downhill. It's kind of diminishing uh, in a sense. Uh, it comes from the idea of being so famished and, and such a craving that you are starving for food. Starving for it. That's a passionate term. The same is used as the word thirsting. It's a passionate term. It's the idea that, that you're, you're near the very end. And when the, you get there, you get desperate. You want it. You have to have it. That kind of a thirsting. That kind of a hunger is what is set before us in these words. Let me, let me put a simple picture before you. Go back in the Old Testament in your thinking, where Israel's about to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They did not know that, but they would soon learn that. But God knew, as they took their first step out of Egypt, He knew very well that 2 million people needed food. He knew that 2 million people and all those animals needed water. But He let them walk right out into the wilderness. And maybe we would think this way. But he didn't give them water and food immediately. He waited. He made it, maybe he was waiting for them just to give up on themselves and turn to him and say, God, we're hungry. Can we have a bite to eat? Can we have to, to realize that he was a provider? Wouldn't that have been nice to read? That's not the way it came. This is how they answered their need. In Exodus 16, I'll read to you 1 through 3. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's an interesting term, S-I-N. That's the name of the place, but it also fits. Which was between Eli and Sinai, uh, Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after the departure from the land of Egypt. 45 days out. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel... Humbly ask the Lord for food. No. It says, The whole sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we were sitting by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, but you brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. Now, they were a little mistaken in their statement. 
I don't recall ever, while they were slaves in Egypt, that they sat by pots full of meat. Or that they had bread to the full. I don't remember stories like that. But that was their concept in the fact that they were hungry now. A little bit of an exaggeration. But they said, why don't you just kill us, Lord? You might as well. We're going to die from this hunger. I take from that some passion. But what's interesting about that is the Lord fed them anyway. Matter of fact, he fed them for the next 40 years with the provision of manna. He made sure that they had food, and he gave that to them. Did that stop them from grumbling? No. But that's a different story. The fact is, when we approach the Lord and we're completely bankrupt, completely bankrupt, we approach him, we ask him to provide for us, and he showers upon everything, uh, us everything that we need. We appreciate that, don't we? I want to ask you this. In your hand right now, I trust you have a Bible. When's the last time you've been appreciative of that? The fact that you own a copy of God's Word. The fact that you can read God's Word. Let me take you back And it's not that far back in history to say 500 A.D., to say 1500 A.D. You're not backing up a great deal of time, about 500 years before now. And what was going on for a thousand years in this world? We call it the Dark Ages for a reason. Because God's Word was not accessible to the common person like you and me. They did not have it in a language they could read. It was written in Latin. They did not have anybody to explain it to them because a lot of the priests did not know Latin themselves. They went an entire lifetime without hearing God's Word. I don't know if there's a way to make an impact on us this way, but I'm going to try. Imagine not having a Bible. Not having a Bible, or a Bible on cassette, or a Bible on your iPad, or a Bible on your phone, or an audio Bible that you can listen to as you drive down the road from your radio. Imagine that you don't have television programs, or Christian radio stations, or churches, or pastors, or any other means by which you can hear God's Word. Imagine from the time you're born and you first start to understand words until the time you're laying on your bed about to die, you have never heard one sentence from God's Word. And that's the Dark Ages. How many people lived through that? How many people died without ever hearing one fragment of God's Word? That's frightful to me. That's a frightful thing. That did happen in history. And when I think of that, and I think of what we have today, the churches, the Word of God, the accessibility to it, do you know that in English alone, there's over 100 English translations of God's Word? Different versions. 
Over 100. In 1990, there were 40. What is going on? Accessibility. Computers. The ability to mass produce at such incredible rates. The ability to translate and work. It's just, we live in a phenomenal time where God's Word is all around us. Available to us. And then you've got that friend on Facebook who's always popping Bible verses up every day. You say, hey, hey, that's pretty good. Do you stop and read them? But I just want to ask you something here. Do we have any excuses to be hungry for God's Word? Have we ever sat back and said, you know, I, this thing you're talking about, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness... I, I don't, if you check your heart, can you say, I, I don't have a hunger and thirst for God that way? I don't have a hunger and thirst for God's Word that way? I don't have a hunger and thirst for righteousness that way? And then tell me why you don't. Tell me why we are those who are in an ocean of biblical information and we don't take a single drink. How is it that the feast can be set before us time after time after time again and we don't even take a bite? I find that convicting because it comes right at my heart too, folks. It comes right at my heart too. I have to check my passion, my hunger, my thirst for the things of God. I have to check where am I in this picture I, am I indifferent to the feast that the Lord has set before me? I, I, I would love for God's people to crave God's Word. I, I would love to see people want to know God as fully as they possibly can. I would love to see that. Uh, all the blessings that God has provided for us. I would love to see that. What if we were to step into a famine in the next two years of God's Word. Is it possible? Well, back in Amos' day it was. Amos wrote this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the Word of the Lord. We're always in danger of that, folks, because neglect leads to that. We put it on the shelf. We forget about it. We fill our day with everything else. And we forget our need. We can enter into a famine very quickly. I'm afraid it's true in our land. I'm afraid it's true in our churches. Because the mentality that was taught to us many years ago, and it hasn't been that long, but it seems that way, when they were promoting the seeker-sensitive concept of growing a church, they highly recommended that you don't bring your Bibles to church. You say, wow, why? Because this is a mentality. If you're sitting there with the Bible and somebody comes into the, your church and they don't have a Bible, you might offend them. And you don't want to offend them. And so don't bring your Bibles because it looks like you're more spiritual than they are. That makes no sense to me. Honestly, it makes no sense to me. Tell a soldier going to battle without his weapons. That's ridiculous. 
We're given these things to feast upon. We're given these things to share with one another. But we had a movement going through our land and churches bought it hook, line, and sinker and they were encouraging people not to carry the Word of God. I'm very happy to be in a church called a Bible church. Because we need God's Word. And we must have a passion for it. Not satisfied with this. You see, here's what's interesting about your verse, and I want to show this to you. Look again at verse number 6. It does not say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God, though that is essential. That's not what he said. And it says, it, it does not say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the Bible, even though that's essential. And you've heard your pastor say so. That's not what it says. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is the application of God's truth in your life. Let me tell you how it happens. A righteous man or a righteous woman is the one who acts right, who does right, because he knows a holy God. He's learned what his God wants of him. How to please his God. And so he learns of God from God's word, right? So his passion is for his God. His passion is for God's word. But it goes beyond that because it then pulls on his actions. It pulls on his attitude. And it says, now... If you're going to want to know God, and if you're going to want to love His Word, and you must do it. Because it's not enough to have the knowledge of God. It's not enough just to have the Word of God. It is, in, it, it is imperative that we do it. You've heard verses like this before, but let me show it to you as simple as it can be. It's in the book of James, chapter number 1. Find the book of Hebrews, not that far away. Hebrews, James, the very next verse, or chapter, chapter number 1, verse 22 through 25. James one twenty-two says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers. Notice what a hearer does. They delude themselves. They make, the Greek word is, they make, they make a mathematical mistake. They're not counting it right. <laughs> In other words, it's not enough. It doesn't add up just to read it. You must do it. For, he explains this in verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. He just looks in the mirror. He sees observations. He makes considerations. He, he does nothing about what he sees. He does nothing that is inconvenient. He does nothing that is uncomfortable. He just took a glance, and once he looked at himself, verse 24 says, he walked away, and he's forgotten what kind of person he is. That's a person that just reads and does not do. 
But here's the next thing he follows with. It's very important, folks. Very important. I, I'd like to call this the two-step plan. All right? Sounds easy. Step one. But the one who looks intently. Intently. This is the picture of hunger and thirsting. All right? Because it's very intense. Here's the depiction of this word. He looks intently. It's different than the last guy who just looked. This guy who looks intently literally bends and twists in order to get a better look. He's willing to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable so that he could see the truth. Is that different? Yes, it is. This is the one hungering and thirsting to understand He's got a craving for righteousness. And he's willing to be made uncomfortable to see it. And then there's step number two that follows it. He not only does that, takes an intent look at the law, but what does it say after that? He intently, intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. You see that important phrase? He's committed himself to what he's seen. To abide is to stay close to it. To stay uh, steadfastly continuing in it. He won't let go. He won't stop. He saw it and he stuck to it. He's a doer. That's what the text says. He's, he's not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. He's a working doer. And notice how God describes him. And this man is blessed. Goes back to our passage, doesn't it? This is the blessed man. It's the same thing if I put up 2 Timothy for you, chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show yourself an approved workman unto God. You've heard that verse before. Study. Boy, that's the work. To present yourself approved to God. That's the blessed man. Who is a workman. He's a doer. That's a very important passage. Because, see, folks, it comes down to this. We're not studying to make a good lesson. We're not studying to make a good sermon. We are studying to be a sermon. We are studying that we might reflect the righteousness of God. It changes our lives. Do you want to know righteousness that much that it inconveniences you where you are right now? where it leaves your heart uncomfortable right now, because you want to know it, and you want to do it. That's the man Jesus is talking about right now. He's got a passion for God's way. He has to have it. So he has to know his God, yes. He's got to know his word, yes. But then he has to do it. And matter of fact, in this list of Beatitudes, nothing is done until the next Beatitude, when he starts talking about peacemakers and merciful and all those. Those are the outward experiences. All the first four is a test of our own heart first. Are we completely dependent upon God? Do we know that we're a sinful person and we've we, we got to come to Him? Because there's no other way that we can stand before a holy God and do holy ministry in our sinfulness, unless he's done something about that. 
That's the mourner. And then we talked about the gentle ones who've been broken and they're ready for usefulness. And the Lord says, okay, I, I brought you this far. Now, let's check the attitude. You have a passion for righteousness. Our world needs that. Our church needs that. A passion for righteousness. A hungering for righteousness that we're not satisfied with enough. We want more. Where are we? I told you it gets uncomfortable. <laughs> it really gets uncomfortable, but we have to check this too. Where's our heart right now in regard to righteousness? God says this, those who are like that will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. I don't think you'll find satisfaction in anything else, to tell the truth. Ultimately, satisfaction lies with trusting contently in what God is doing. There's your satisfaction. And if you want to crave His Word or crave His person, you have to have the action to go with that, because that's what He calls us to do. Do it. Not just know it. Do it. Heavenly Father, here we stand before you with such a a passage like this in front of us. And if we were to measure up to some sort of a ruler on the wall right now, I know we'll find ourselves lacking. But you know even more than that. Because you see a heart within each and every one of us. And you know where our passion lies. And I trust, Lord, that uh, you might light that fire that just causes the burning for things that belong to you. A hungering and a thirsting that will not be satisfied with anybody but you and your word and your way. Lord, drive us to this place, we pray. Change us inside out. If it makes us uncomfortable, so be it. Because we want to be like Christ. And we want to serve Him in the way He's designed it. Lord, this is a big calling that You set before us. And only You can bring it about. So we submit ourselves to You today. As that Your work might be done for Your honor, for Your glory, for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.